Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ and welcome to Christ Church of Livingston County Teaching Ministry. Christ Church is a member of the Communion of Reformed Evangelical Churches, Tyndale Presbytery. The following audio recording is from a Covenant Renewal Liturgy at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. So every Sunday God calls us to worship Him and it, it is fit for us to recognize who we are outside of God's grace as well and out of our ordinary duties and reflecting upon our sinful behavior and today we're going to do that by using Proverbs chapter 30 verse 17 which says the eye that mocks a, fa a father and scorch to obey a mother will be picked out by the ravines of the valley and eaten by the vultures. How many of you kids have seen those black birds, I don't know how to call here, when they are eating a dead animal? They are eating, beating the animals. It is disgusting. Uh, picture, isn't it? But that's what here the writer from Proverbs wants us to, to see and feel how horrible and disgusting it is to see here this bird um, eating the eyes of those children, specifically speaking about you children here. And if you go back, this verse clearly looks back, back to verse 11. If we have your Bible... It says, there are those who curse their fathers and do not bless their mothers. But now here in verse 17, the writer introduced a divine threatening to disobedient children. According to God's command, you should honor your father and mother. So this verse here is describing those type of children. Children who look with with disdain upon their parents, perhaps for many reasons. How many of you children, uh, when your parents are trying to give you instruction and you look at them and say, huh, whatever, they don't know too much about internet. They need some updates, you know? And that's exactly what the, the, the writer here is saying for those children. Oh, my parents are not too fashion. They don't know too much. So those type of children, they decide to ignore the instruction or commands. They score to be controlled by their parents. They became impatient, angry at their parents. But as, as I said here, there is a divine threatening to children like that. And as you see here, it is God himself who takes notice with what kind of eyes have you looked at your parents, children? Because it is God who takes notice of you. You who look upon your parents and God, what we, we are seeing here is that God will hold you accountable for your evil eyes as well as your bad language against your parents. 
So those who dishonor their parents shall be set up as a monuments of God's vengeance. You know that disgusting picture of seeing a bird eating a, a, a dead body anymore? That's how God's wrath reveals himself for children that does not honor their parents. And we adults as well, we are children. You may have your parents alive, or you may not. But in fact, you have your Heavenly Father alive. And how many times we as well, adults, have turned our backs to God Himself, our Father. And these remind us of our sins. And I'm so glad that we had this opportunity to bow down before God and confess our sins. And let's do this now, if we're able to. through Luke chapter 10 the way of selfishness and the way of love and today we're going to jump in the way of love and our main verses will be from verses 30 to 37 but let's go back to the beginning of this um, amazing encounter of Jesus and these experts of the law starting in verse 25 and behold a lawyer stood up to put him to put Jesus to test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And last week we were saying that the question here is, How do you interpret it? How do you apply it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your minds, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you live. Verse 29, But he, desiring to justify himself, he said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And here goes our uh, main text for today. Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who striped him and beat him, and departed, leaving him half dead, now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and, and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, Pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out the two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to? The man who fell among the robbers. He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. Let's pray one more time. Oh, gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much 
for bringing us here, calling us off, um, out of this world, out of our duties, so that we can find rest in you. And we know there is no other way to find rest but in your word. So we pray that you may fill up our hearts with your word and your spirit to guide us through this passage. And we pray in your mighty name. Amen. So last week I shared uh, with you about the evil hostility between the Hutus and the Tutsis uh, that led into a genocide in Rwanda, almost one million, even though at that time Rwanda was one of the most uh, Christianized nations in Africa. But today in our text we will see how Jesus will explore the same kind of hostility, but now between Jews and Samaritans, to make his points. And his point is, I want to show you the way of love. I want to show what uh, um, a true religion looks like. And the Samaritans, let me share a little bit about them. Most and probably, they lived in a central Palestine between Judea, the Jewish Judea in the south, and the Jewish Galilee in the north. They were there between those two, south and north. And the Jews usually regarded Samaritans as a semi-foreign pagan nation, being descendants of a people settled in Palestine by the Assyrians when they invade Jerusalem, during the 8th century B.C. But, as you see in the New Testament, they seem to be more Jewish than anything else in their way of living and religion. So, the hostility between Jews and Samaritans goes back in the Old Testament times, and it increases throughout their history, especially after the Samaritans built their temple on Mount Gerizim. And as you know, they claim that the right place now was there, not in Jerusalem. They start to reject uh, the Jewish temple in Jerusalem. They set up their own temple and they said, "Our, our divine word of God is just Moses' Ten Commandments, the law. So... And the history goes, in 128 B.C., when the Jewish people had their opportunity, they pay back by destroying, attacking Samaria with a military power, destroying their temple as well as the entire city. So that is the historical context here. And after almost 120 years later, then... The Samaritans pay it back. It was during the Passover period. Some Samaritans go, got into the Jerusalem temple at night and scattered human bones there inside the Jewish temple in Jerusalem. And as you know, after that, the temple was contaminated and no one could get inside. They couldn't never celebrated the temple at that time. So you can see this hostility between Jews and Samaritans uh, 
was huge between them. Think about you being uh, seeing your whole family, seeing your whole family uh, being put to death by a people that later on you have to love as your neighbor. And this hostility between Jews, Jews and, and um, Samaritan and Gentiles is even reported in the Jewish literatures. I found very interesting. So I found some quotes from some Jewish literatures. Here's the first one. Two nations my soul detests, hate. And the third, it's not even a people. Those who live in Seir and in Philistine and the foolish, listen how they describe the Samaritan people, the foolish people that live in Shikan. And we know uh, from the history that the people that lived, uh, lived in Shikan were the Samaritans one. The second one, he who eats the bread of the Samaritans is like to one who eats the flesh of swine, pork. A Jew was not liable to the death penalty for killing a Samaritan. <laughs> a Jew may withhold wages from, from a Samaritan. The fine, final quote here. No legal document, document was valid which had a Samaritan as a witness, <laughs> except a court order with respect to divorce or emancipation. So we can see the history between Jews and Samaritan, and we can see that pretty clear in the New Testament uh, when Jesus met the Samaritan woman, and she claimed to, to where, where's the place we should worship you? Here in Mount Gerizim or Jerusalem? Um, so John 4, and even Luke, Chapter 9, you see how the Samaritans um, did not welcome Jesus in their village. So it is with this hostile background in mind that Jesus introduced the parable. And some people, the Bible itself, uh, those guys who put together ESV, NIV, they put the good Samaritan. But that's not a parable to say that Samaritans were good people. That's not the point. Um, but the point is to show the ethical, the ethical implication of those who live in God's kingdom. And that's the way that Jesus is going to really shock this lawyer and his hearers by introducing a Samaritan. It was like we talking about a situation that a, a Christian is going on. And then here comes a Muslim guy helping, showing love. It's not to support Muslim or Islam, or it's not to support a Samaritan way of religion. It's to support the way of love. So the point here is that Jesus wants to show that there is a way that those who know God should live. But first of all, let's talk about verse 29 and see the personification of selfishness. But he, desiring to justify himself, he said to Jesus, Who is my neighbor? And I said last week, the question is, Then, who is my neighbor? I mean, he's challenging Jesus. And if you think that he's 
he is desiring to justify himself, the question is how? How he is trying to do that? Well, as an expert of the law, he belongs to a class of teacher that used to declare that no Gentile was a neighbor, especially the Samaritans. But only those who belong to the old covenant community. Now, what this man is expecting here from Jesus, as also being a Jewish teacher of the law, is that Jesus would interpret the law based on the Jewish tradition. Yeah, now I'm going to justify myself because Jesus, you show that I'm right. The way I'm showing my love here just for my people, and that's the way that um, Jesus will really justify me here. But verse 30, Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he felt among robbers who striped him and beat him and departed leaving him half dead. So verse 30 gives us a historical background for the parable. And this road from Jerusalem to Jericho was about 17 miles. It was a busy road. It was also called the path of blood. Wow. Why? Because although it was a busy road, it was unsafe having robbers hiding all the way, just waiting for an opportunity to steal, to kill. The road itself shows the way of selfishness. Jesus' hearers were familiar with these incidents and the description of the man being brutally beaten and left half dead will have made Jesus' hearers uncomfortable. Because they know Jesus is talking about something real. And I love the way Jesus brings the historical background to introduce the parable. It's like me going to Rwanda and bringing up the situation, the past, between Hutus and Tutsis. Exploring the background. But why Jesus is doing that? Because the real and familiar description of these common incidents, you draw Jesus here's attention to the real and familiar description of both unjust office, priesthood and Levites. So by giving a real description of this role, a man was brutally beaten and left half dead, it was a real description that you'd bring their attention for the empty religion of that time. And speaking about priests and Levites, they were servants of God's law. That real and familiar description of this role, you'd bring a real and familiar description of a meaningless knowledge of God that those guys had at that time. So the idea of showing this real and familiar description of a man being brutally beaten, you'd personify the way of selfishness. Verse 31 and 32. Here's how Jesus will show um, how selfishness 
looks like. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he saw the man, uh, half dead, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. So here, here we have two guys that Jesus is introducing here. The first one is the priest, an official responsible for the worship and sacrifices of the Jewish temple in Jerusalem. They worship to God. The priest was responsible, responsible to sacrifice on behalf of the people. In other words, he was the one to sympathize with the, the, the sinful status of God's people. He was also a servant, as I said, of God's law. He knew the Bible. He was supposed to teach it. So the Levites, as well, they used to assist the priests' works and also had other temples' duties. For example, in providing music for the worship, through the Psalms, maintaining security, in the temple buildings. And also they have the responsibility to interpret. And to teach the law. So here. We have. Man professionally. Consecrate to God. And to his temple. To do what? To serve God. But also to serve the people. And even now. On their way home. After their duties. After their prayers, meditation, devotion in God's words, and obligation to the temple, they will surely show mercy to the man who was in need of it, isn't it? At least is, this is what we are expecting here, that someone that is coming out of the temple, worshiping God, reading the Bible, teaching it, Seeing through the pages of the Bible how merciful was God through his, to His people. We are expecting those men here that they would show mercy to that man in the road. And just to remind ourselves here, these men were men of God's law who teach, who interpret it. The law which by itself display even justice and mercy to a beast, to, the, to, animal, to the animals of their enemies. And there, there are so many excuses when a Jewish theologian trying to interpret this passage. Because first of all, they say, well, the man on the road was dead. That's why the priest could not be there. Otherwise, you'd be contaminated. But that's not true. The man was half dead. So he was supposed to go there and help. The priest or any Jewish people were supposed to help even the animal of their enemies. If Samaritans were considered enemies, the Jewish people were supposed to help even their animals. Exodus 23, verse 4 and 5 if you come across your enemy's ox or donkey wandering off, be sure to return it. 
If you see the donkey of someone who hates you, you see that? If you see the animal, the donkey of someone who hates you, falling down under its load, do not leave it there. Be sure you help them with it. There is no excuses here. But unfortunately, on their way from Jerusalem home, this man left God there in the temple. And they had no time, they had no compassion for these unfortunate fellow Jews in the road. It just had time to perform the work of selfishness. Now you understand why Jesus is introducing here the priests and the Levites. Because they were the one that you would have most uh, uh, chance to show mercy. But that, that is expression that says, you can only give what you have, isn't it? You can only give what you have. That's why I think when we are not showing love, it's because we are not receiving God's love. Not because God is not giving us, but because we are not understanding God's love. So Jesus introduced the priest and the Levite into this parable to rebu rebuke, to rebuke a heartless, a compassionless religion. A religion that sees, that sees but does not feel. Those two guys here, the priests and the Levites, they saw the man. They saw how horrible this man was on the road, beaten, need help. But they didn't do nothing. So what Jesus is doing here is rebuking a religion that does not show the love of God. God himself, God himself does not find pleasure in the death of the wicked. Ezekiel 18 verse 23, have I, have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked? declares the Lord God. And the answer is no. There is no pleasure. Even in the death of the evil man, there is no pleasure in God. And why? Because that man was made in God's image. In God's image. So Jesus rebukes the priests and the Levites who fail in their solemn obligations. Just as the church today forgets her obligation when wealth, comfort, facilities, pride drain the energy of her working of compassion. Wealth, comfort, facility, whatever we may have in this life should be means for us to show God's love. Not to neglect it. So here, Jesus introduced those two men to really show the work of selfishness. But then he turns to verse 33 and 35. 
the personification of love. And if you were a Jew, who would you expect to be the next person to come in this parable? If you're a Christian, listen to a parable from a pastor, who would you expect to come to the scene? A Christian, a faithful one, to shame those two other Christians. And the Jews were waiting for Jesus to introduce perhaps another ordinary Jew, maybe a poor one, so that they could shame both the priests and the Levites for the working of selfishness. Of course, they were not waiting for a Samaritan. Not at all. But, on the contrary, Jesus intentionally introduces a Samaritan to shock this lawyer and his hearers. The Jews perhaps were waiting again for some ordinary Jews to help this poor man. But Jesus goes beyond that by introducing a Samaritan and making this atmosphere extremely uncomfortable for the Jews. Verse 33, But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, just like the other two. And he saw him, just like the other two, the priest and Levite. But here he says, he took pity on him. He had compassion. Far away from his home in Samaria, even though knowing the danger of stopping in this road, this Samaritan did not care about his own life, but about his neighbor. He didn't go there and ask, are you a Jew? Um, I remember when I went back to Brazil 2015, I was now a Reformed guy, and I have so many Pentecostal church calling me to preach. And I said to myself, no, I'm not going there anymore. Now I'm a Reformed guy. And then, yeah, I think the Holy Spirit reminded me, you are just here today and all the way that you have going through because of the Pentecostal church, they were the ones that most support you in the mission field. And then I had my heart broken and I, I went there and I, I shared God's word and my way of thinking about the reform perspective. And this guy just did the same. He didn't ask, are you a Jew? Are you a Calvinist? Oh, are you Armenian? Oh, no, no, no. I, I, no way. Sometimes people see the bulletins. Oh, Eric, I saw that you are going to Howie to preach in a church. Which church is that? Oh, CRC. Oh, okay. They give hidden communion to children. Oh, I know. But I haven't seen a church that loves us so much since we got here. And they are reading scripture. And they have so many good points in their interpretation. And they say like, oh, interesting. So the way of love, 
brothers and sisters, go beyond minor things. Much beyond. The way of love seeks God's glory first and foremost. Verse 34, And these men went to him. Listen to that. Very interesting. He went to the guy and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. By the way, all those things here were precious and very expensive. Okay? Then he put the man on his donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. So he used oil, which was a remedy to appease the pain of open wounds. Then he used wine for the bruises and bandages for covering the open wounds. In other words, this man here is so well informed about the danger of this world and wisely, this Samaritan provided for his journey a package containing all things that he needs or that he thought that someone could need. Can you see that? He was not just thinking about him. He was equipping himself to provide for the need one. And the question for us is, were we not well informed as well about this falling world and how this world every day is destroying people's lives? We know. We know. And we know very well that this world every day is beating, beating people emotionally, physically, spiritually, destroying people's lives. Shouldn't we be well prepared to rescue those who are suffering this world as well? And by the way, we have everything. We are well equipped to rescue those in this fallen world. Are we doing this? Or are we passing by? You know? And I know the feeling of passing by. I know. You're going to feel guilt later on. I remember before being a Christian, I was living in a township, favela, we call it Brazil. So many drug dealers. And at 5 o'clock in the morning, I heard some shootings. And I was, I mean, well-known guy in the township, not because of drugs, but because I was a musician playing for many bands. And I went out. My mom said to me, don't go out, please, don't go out. You just heard the shooting. Said, no, don't worry, man. You were so cu curious, Eric. Stay home. I said, no, I'm going to see what's happening. I'm going to buy bread. I need to go to school. No, it's 5 o'clock in the morning. You don't need to go to school right now. No, I just want to buy bread. And I got outside, and I saw a young guy, 15, 14, sh shootings everywhere, bleeding. And I walked walk by, and he started to ask my help. And I could do nothing. I mean, I knew if I helped this guy, the drug dealers could kill me. But I'm pretty sure if that situation comes up again today, my response would be different. 
and I saw the young man die. So today the Lord has equipped us to provide for the needs of those people who have been destroyed in this world. Destroyed in their homes, destroyed in their jobs and colleges and everywhere. And praise God because he has equipped us. Verse 35, the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. And he said, look after him, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. So after this essential relief, the Samaritan proceeds with his way of love and compassion taking care of these men beyond their situation, thinking ahead. As you know, the Samaritan two denarii, you'd pay for 24 nights at an inn. Keep in mind that according to Luke, the parable of Samaritan is Jesus' response to a Jewish theologian about the meaning of neighbor. So that's the point here. Who is my neighbor? While Jesus is not primarily offering a definition of neighbor in this parable, he surely is giving here the most precious definition of love, loving one's neighbor. So Jesus is using the parable here to say, uh, this is love. In other words, God's word cannot be used by this lawyer anymore to define who are the best neighbor that he could love according to his profile. So our final point here is the personification of one's neighbors. So continuing, Jesus gives the question back to the lawyer. Verse 36, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who felt in the hands of the robbers? Which one do you think? Tell me. You saw those three guys, the priests, the, the, the Levites, and now the Samaritan. And see that the question is not, who is my neighbor? If you see the question here that Jesus is doing, pay attention. Which of these three do, do you think was a neighbor? The man came saying, who is my neighbor? And Jesus is saying now, who one of these three guys is the neighbor? In other words, when you come first of all to me, you made the wrong question, who is my neighbor? The question should be, am I being a neighbor? That's the question that Jesus is now re-instructing to this man. So this lawyer had the opportunity to understand that neighborhood it's not a matter of civil status in society, but a matter of spiritual, physical status as being made in the image of God. In other words, your neighbor, my dear lawyer, is anyone who needs you. That's the definition of neighborhood. Now, see that in his reply, this lawyer could not even pronounce the word Samaritan. Verse 37, 
he answered this question. Which one of those three guys? And he said, the one who had mercy on him. The hostility between Jews and Samaritans was so huge. He could not even pronounce some, 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 no, I can't. I can't say this word. But surely, his guilt was exposed. And see now that Jesus, how Jesus you treat this man, just like the Samaritan man took care of that man on the road. Because Jesus could really confront this man, exposing even more his guilt. Instead, Jesus is so merciful, so kind, so loving. Jesus has mercy on him and invites this man for repentance and change. And that's how we should look like verse 38. This is an invitation for repenting and changing. Verse 38, Jesus told him, go and do likewise. And as I said last week, this is not a, a call to imitate. Go to the road and wait there for someone to fall among the robbers. No, 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 that's not the point. The love is the point here. The love. So do you still remember the first question that led Jesus into this parable? The question was, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And the question for us is, did Jesus answer this question? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Where did Jesus answer this question in the parable? We cannot see directly. We can't. Indirectly, yes. Jesus did answer this question as he describes the way of love. So by contrasting the way of selfishness with the way of love, the way of the priests and Levites, the empty religion with the way of love that show mercy and kind to anyone who needs. So Jesus indirectly described how those who are already saved and are living God's kingdom should look like and the extreme needs of that hopeless and helpless man on the road again remind those people in this fallen world without Jesus no hope no help so therefore Jesus purpose here for his hearers and for us today is more than what we must do to inherit eternal life but how we must behave as a reflection of our salvation. So this parable for us, brothers and sisters, as we conclude, is a call for us to love. It's a call for us to change and repent. It's a call for us to stop looking around and seeking only those neighbors who better fit in our profile. Oh, I, I mean, I just like those kind of people, um, and I just show love for those kind of people. I don't like those children or... Did not God make himself our neighbor? He did. And he did so while we were still his enemies, isn't it? He loved us. He loved us. Jesus came down from heaven in the incarnation 
to where? In the road, the path of blood that we all were. And he gave his life for us as an example of a merciful Samaritan. And he went beyond. Christ, through his death and resurrection, covered our nakedness, bondage up our wounds, and healed, healed us with his balm extracted from his own blood. And not only that, like the Samaritan, he placed us, he put us in a place of safety, God's kingdom, forever. Not just for 24 days, but forever. We are there already. So let's, let's respond to God in love to those who are in need around us. Let's show love. Let's show love. And kids, let's start in our house. Because if you, cannot, if you cannot love your brother, if you cannot love your sister, you will never love those who are in need. Hold those who need your love outside of your house. And remember the picture, and it was a so nice picture that we have today, of those who oppose God's commands. That picture from Proverbs 30, verse 17, provokes God's wrath. It's like a mortal body, mortal body in the world, be beaten by birds. So let's show God's love to those who are in need. Let's pray. Oh, gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your amazing, unconditional love for us, showed in Christ Jesus, our Savior. Thank you for loving us first, while we were still sinners, enemies of the cross. Thank you, O oh Lord, for your love. And may your, our hearts be filled with your love and flow to those who are in need. Beginning in our house, among our sisters and brothers and father and mother and relatives, going out in our school jobs so that people may know you. We are living in a world, O oh Lord, that needs your love. Help us to not neglect your love to those who are around you. Help us, us to be the good neighbors. May your Holy Spirit apply your word into our hearts. And we pray, Lord, in closing, as you taught us. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Paul tells us that we must not eat and drink from the Lord's table unworthily. The same warning is repeated even just a few verses later. Remembering the context of these warnings, we're reminded that the Corinthians were guilty of divisions in the church, drunkenness, sexual immorality, and greed. Paul tells them that such sins, when left unrepented, are inconsistent with this table. The biblical solution to this 
inconsistency always is to repent of the sin and come to the table. We may think that it's acceptable way to resolve the problem is to stay away from the table and to keep the sin. But make no, no mistake, unrepentant sin and participation at this table are fundamentally inconsistent. But we don't want to fence the table with tall, tall border walls that are topped with razor wire. We want the table to fence us, to keep us from the sin. Do not let sin keep you from the table. Seek to have the table keep you from sin. It is as grievous as a sin to refrain from the table unworthily as to partake unworthily. In both cases, the sin is the same kind of thing. It's a contemptuous ingratitude. It's an ingratitude to snatch something without saying thank you. It's also an ingratitude to refuse a gift that's been purchased at such great price. So guard your hearts. Discern and see the body that's seated around you. And come and eat. Thank you for listening to this audio recording from Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in this recording, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact us through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I.com. Again, thank you and blessings.